fake, fake, fakeity fake. Hi, I'm Jody. I'm Caitlin. And welcome to Imperial News, where I spend my whole week listening to the far-right podcast Rebel News, then talk about denying history with my friend Caitlin. Great. How are you, Caitlin? I'm doing uh, quite well. That's good to hear. I am extremely tired, but what? <laughs> what? The day's just started good. Oh, man, I I was lost in, like, watching things last night, and I was like, oh, it's two in the morning. <laughs> I kind of did the same thing, but I bet yeah. I watched something very different from what you watched. I watched people's experiences with exotic pets. <laughs> no, well... Just I in was... case I want to buy a cougar. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, just reading about Iranian history because it's relevant to this episode, but I was just, like, lost in it, that I, like, lost track of time. But uh... That's interesting. Yeah. Actually, I think it's a... It's a very rich and colorful history, so I'm sure we'll get into it. We certainly will. Uh, But before we do, don't forget, if you like this show, tell a friend, leave a review on your favorite podcast app, or donate to us on patreon.com slash imperial news. So just to like frame these next two episodes as well, uh, they're going to be kind of disjointed, at least in contrast with previous episodes. This is because there was a lot of Iran material, but it was spread out randomly in almost all the episodes of Ezra Show this week. And this creates two, like, competing desires. The first desire is that I want all the Iran material in the same episode, so that if anyone comes to this one episode, it will be self-contained. I don't want to be referring to the episode constantly in the next episode. Uh, The second desire is to keep the show within the one-hour mark, which we have been pretty good at lately. And this means that if I do the normal format and go back and forth, Iran, and then random stuff, and then Iran, and then random stuff, the episode is going to uh, go way past the self-imposed time limit. So the solution I've worked out is to spend this episode covering everything that has to do with Iran, and then uh, in the next episode, we'll cover everything that has to do with all the random shit that Ezra wants to talk about. Uh, And I probably will mix up saying Iran and Iran. I realize I just did that in the previous sentence, uh, but uh, or the previous paragraph. But uh, and part of that has to do with like Ezra says Iran all the time. We (laughs) were just we were just talking about this, where certain uh, terms or names of places or of people become anglicized, and then people in the news say Iran all the time. Um, I even had university professors who studied like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the history, like Middle Eastern history, yeah. say Iran, and then I've had to even correct them, and they still keep saying Iran. Um, and it just became Iran, Iran, or I yeah. don't even know anymore. <laughs> that we're blowing our own brains. It's, I think it's Iran. It's is Iran. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like when you have the I. It's not in Iran. Italy. And Iran so far away. No, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> No, it's just like you wouldn't say Italian, you would say Italian, right? I wish we said Italian. No, I wish we would never say that because people do say it, especially Americans, and it drives me nuts. Especially Um, with like a Southern drawl, Italians. You're one of those Italian folks. Yeah, Yeah. I've heard that a couple of times, especially since my grandparents live in South Carolina. So, yeah. Well, since we're just a bunch of Canadians, uh, (laughs) we'll just go here. We'll just go right into it, and uh, I just apologize in advance. And so with that, the Imperial Roundup-ish. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. 
I'm a weirdo. The last time we recorded was on the 9th, and that was the day the video came out showing a missile hitting the passenger plane, which was Flight 752, which led to the death of 176 people. You had brought up that you had just watched uh, that footage on our episode 18, so you can go back and check that out. That night, uh, of course, Ezra needs to talk about it. So the first half of the opening monologue focuses on how strong Trump is and how he's handling it. But we kind of went over that in episode 18. So again, you can It's always like, of fucking course, he's going to say stuff like that. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I mean, (laughs) we... how original. Good take. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Uh, But of course, we commented on how, you know, Trump had erratic behavior and how even that erratic behavior affect our own communities and uh, the relationships we have with some of the people who died on that plane. And so if, for any of that information, you could just go to episode 18, I guess, and we'll just plow ahead with the new stupidity that, <laughs> that Ezra gives us. So Ezra ends his opening monologue by fixating on the response of the CBC and Trudeau, saying that both the CBC and Trudeau were blaming Trump for the plane being shot down. I would say even in the clips that Ezra plays that the media is a bit, uh, sort of a bit more even-handed than Ezra's giving them credit to be which is that they talk about blame being distributed or how to distribute the blame between Trump and Iran. But it is clear that at least the CBC and Trudeau seem to be acknowledging that there is definitely an acceptance that Trump is at least somewhat responsible for what happened. And that, of course, is too much for Ezra, <laughs> right? Trump cannot be blamed at all uh, for this. But so far, though, Ezra hasn't offered a reason for thinking Trump shouldn't be blamed. And... <laughs> uh, and I was clear back in episode 18, before Ezra was even addressing the down plane, that there is a clear causal case for why Trump is to blame. For example, if Trump doesn't assassinate Kassam, Iran wouldn't be on high alert, and then the plane doesn't get shot down. Like it's, it's a clear causal relationship there. You didn't necessarily comment on that, but do you think it's fair to say that Trump shares any of the blame here? Yes. it's like no shit (laughs) yeah like i i don't see why this is such an issue other than that of of course he's obsessed with trump and uh doesn't like any muslim countries not having the blame right well yeah he just wants to use this like fear-mongering rhetoric where it's you know this is a bad country they're terrorists he went in and you know he assassinated a known terrorist and he did the patriotic American fight for yeah. freedom kind of thing. And they sh- they're retaliating? How dare they, right? Like, that's even crazy that they would retaliate against yeah, Trump. Yeah, supposed to take it. Or American god of a president, right? Like, that's, it's just, uh, yeah. it's, it's ridiculous. Or, you know what, though? A lot of people think that, though. They're like, oh, it's it's good that he he killed that guy. He did all these war crimes. He's a horrible man. He's a terrorist. We have to assassinate people like that. But I was even having a conversation with my father, who was disagreeing with my my uh, our point of views, because um, I said he had no business going and assassinating Kassam. Kassam, and then um, he was like, well, he's a bad guy, and I was just like, do you mean? people have committed crimes during war and have done really bad things. Like people can get 
disgusting during that during war people who are americans no that's what i'm trying to get at i was like think of all those american generals that come back home and have committed torture to innocent people yes yes exactly and i was like shouldn't they be uh do you think they should be assassinated how about when the cia went in just like how you said and tortured a bunch of people to find information and a lot of the people either didn't have any information, were innocent, or they did have people that did commit crimes and weren't confessing to anything. They just unnecessarily tortured them. A lot of those people got promotions in the CIA. None of them got punished in any sort of way. And I was like, but it's okay for us to go to other countries. I mean, we're not American, but yeah. like, <laughs> I think we get tied in with American relations Western all the time. colonialists. Yeah, well, North American. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm kind of thinking of. But... Um, but it's okay for us to go over to other countries yeah. and do that. Like it's like there you didn't even give the person a due process. I do I do love that you brought that up. The, a lot of what you just said there's gonna be so relevant to oh, what's no. <laughs> oh no, no. Uh, I do wanna say though before we go on that Iran clearly shot the plane. And yeah. we will eventually get to discussing Iran's responsibility in that and to what extent it was an accident or intentional or things like this. So he sort of like closes, he's closing out the opening monologue segment on the 9th. And of course, war with Iran is a big topic. And tons of people are searching the web for news, especially Canadian news. And given the number of passengers on the plane being Canadian. So what does Ezra normally do in circumstances like these? What does he do? You got it. <laughs> well, now I feel pressured to get it. <laughs> if I'm wrong. <laughs> What does Ezra always do when there's a big news story? When there's a big news story. That's drawing drawing attention to Canadian news topics. Um, well, he gets other people on his show usually. Um, yeah, but I'm talking, he's got to get that money. He's got to get that Oh, job. a petition. So what should we do? I mean, Canada is not strong enough to really hurt Iran like America could. Iran laughs at us like, like China does. But we can do a few things. I can think of half a dozen. I've listed them on a petition at baniran.ca. Baniran.ca. You can sign our petition there if you like. I feel like we should do like an academic journal of how many petitions, like you, yeah. an article of just how many petitions Ezra has set up throughout his career. And it is. It's every time there's and a big... An increase of revenue. Yeah. Like that would be really interesting. And every time it is whenever there's a big news story that has some sort of Canadian focus is when these petitions come out. And we know that Ezra does the petition thing to get money. We had our first uh, petition episode uh, in episode four. So almost as soon as we started the show, uh, we noticed There's this. There's been tons of petitions. Yeah. yeah. And we discussed there how Ezra had a UK employee that gave away the secrets that you get people signed up and then you can email them for donations. And this is a source of revenue for the, the rebel. And this is a really, really... Really, really gross time to start trying to grow your audience and increase your revenue by taking advantage of the death of 176 people. Yeah, it's it's very exploitative. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you got to give them credit for the ban Iran rhyme scheme, but... <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, it's called ban Iran because uh, he thinks that we give too much foreign aid to Iran and uh, we're too conciliatory to them so basically he he wants to 
ban yeah let's just Iran. ignore yeah. all the economic and sanctions sanction. well, who wants to sanction them more and like all kinds yeah of let's just yeah. but you know if those economic sh- sanctions by the u.s weren't placed on iran that plane would have never even went out yeah like well, they had to change a lot of the, the, yeah it had to change all their flight schedules because of it right so that was like that was a large reason that plane went out which kind of kind of mm-hmm. led to it getting shot down just saying yep so Ezra ends the opening segment with a dig at Alexandra Trudeau, which is Justin Trudeau's younger brother. Oh, this is why you've been sending yeah. me all these videos. <laughs> and well, he brought him up in our the episode we covered in uh, 18. Know, and we I laughed because just... we didn't know whether or not this <laughs> really were like Trudeau has a brother. Uh, but yes, Trudeau has a, a younger brother. And Ezra claims that Alexandra worked with Iran. Uh, sorry, Iran. See, I'm doing it already. Worked with Iran in creating a pro-Iranian propaganda film called The New Great Game, and then links this with Justin Trudeau by stating that Alexandra was Justin Trudeau's leadership campaign foreign policy advisor. So starting with that last claim, it is true that back in 2012 and 2013, Alexandra Trudeau was senior advisor on Justin Trudeau's leadership race for when he was running for leadership of the Liberal Party. Although it isn't fair to say that he was his foreign policy advisor, like he was one advisors among many to advise him on like all kinds of things, not just foreign policy. And since then, he Alexandra hasn't really been involved with Justin Trudeau's political career, like in none of his campaigns, any of that. Although uh, after looking into him, I kind of wish he was. <laughs> and that isn't to say he doesn't talk to his brother. Like it's clear he still yeah. has a relationship with his brother and he talks to him. Uh, but he is actually openly talked about in interviews, uh, not wanting to really be involved with it. Like he does, he prefers to stay sort of like out of the politics game and really just wants to be a journalist, which is what he's chosen as his career. And he likes kind of being unknown because... Why would you want to be attached to your father and brother's personal success? Well, I mean, he, I think uh, Alexandra is in control uh, or is the head of uh, like the Pierre Trudeau... It's not fun, but the thing, the documents and stuff like that. So he he has a, a, a part in his father's legacy in that sense, or he's keeping it going, which is like, it's your dad, sure, like whatever. But his main thing is he wants to be a journalist. And he, I think from what I gathered from some of the interviews is he wants to remain kind of not recognized so that he can do more sort of gritty journalism stuff that like he wouldn't be able to do if he was like, someone who's constantly on TV and everyone recognizes him. Yeah. Alexandra was described by his mother as a revolutionary, so already kind of cool. <laughs> and he served in the military before dropping out to be a journalist and was embedded as a reporter during the Iraq War in 2003. I don't know a ton of his reporting, so maybe I'm hyping him up too much. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but so far, I like him better than his brother. We'll just put it that way. So now uh, the movie, The New Great Game. This was made just before his brother's leadership campaign and is about oil trade routes from the Suez Canal to the Gulf of Aden. Mm -hmm. The only involvement of the Iranian government was that in the making of the film was that press TV, which is the Iranian uh, Iranian state TV, was listed as producers in association in the credits. And I don't know what like what exactly that means. It could mean like all kinds of things like what is a producer in association, right? And like I can think of many reasons, which is that like maybe they provided uh, footage to Alexandra to include in his film or like whatever, like who knows what they did, right? 
But that is enough to, uh, for Ezra to claim that this is an Iranian film. Most of the funding actually came from the CBC, so that's another so reason. Uh, <laughs> is this going to go to like Trudeau's family is embedded with the Iranian government? Uh, I don't know if it's like that far. And then the media party, CBC, is like propagating whatever the Trudeau family wants. Well, there's definitely that part of it, but like I don't know how much Ezra's want to... I think Ezra's just planting seeds here. He doesn't fully commit. For him to eventually say that. Maybe if it becomes convenient, or, but I, or, or at least he's hinting to it. Like yeah. He doesn't come out and say, therefore Trudeau's in bed with the Iranians. But you can clear he's like dropping, dropping hints here, right? So the other part is the claim that this is a pro-Iranian propaganda film is also a bit weird, especially after I watched the film. So I went and did it because it's available on the CBC. And the film is really a kind of removed look at the various imperial powers in the region and how these roles are shifting in the future. The focus specifically on Iran mostly has to do with the tensions between Iran and the U.S., which are pretty evident still today, (laughs) but also goes into detail about the nature of the Iranian protests and how these uprisings will impact the relationship with the U.S. So remember, this film was released just a few years after the Arab Spring with the Iranian protests that were starting in 2009 with the claims of election fraud and then the Days of Rage protests, which happened in 2011. So this was the the time period when Alexandra was making this film. And part of what the film argues is that if these protests succeed in Iran, it is not likely that this relationship with the U.S. will improve, even though some people like to think that it would, given that America wants total control over these oil routes, which is why they have ships, military ships in that in that region to control and, and stop piracy and like other stuff. Mm. So that even if America is posturing support for these pro-democracy uprisings, America will likely turn on them for being too Islamic or too leftist and will try to hold onto its power in that region. And that's kind of what the film is saying. Okay. I mean, it doesn't do it so like blatantly. It yeah. just sort of like lays it out almost... In typical type, like CBC documentary style of just being like a neutral observer of like, here are the moving pieces, but it doesn't really give it the kind of like normative spin that I just <laughs> gave okay. it, right? And I'm not sure that that is pro-Iranian, but it is definitely critical of Americans' uh, foreign policy and does discuss how the American empire is probably in decline. But I think in general, there's this confusion and it's not just with Ezra or far-right people. I think they definitely try to push this idea, but uh, in the general public, if you support or you're against one thing, it means that you're for the other, like the other team or side. Like it doesn't mean like if you're being critical of Americans intervention with, with Iran, that you support the Iranian government and what they've done because they haven't done really great things. Um, uh, But there's this like sentiment that gets pushed. Like if you, if you criticize America, you're for terrorists, right? Or you're like for communism (laughs) or you're for these like evil groups that are coming again. So it's like even talk about the decline of American empire is somehow support for the authoritarian regime in Iran, which is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. A lot of, but I've talked to people and they like, they're like, oh, I don't want to be too critical of what's happening because I don't want to show support for the Iranian government. I'm like, that's not what that is, though. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's saying you disagree with the actions of the American government, specifically the American president. It has nothing to do with you supporting um, 
But I feel like we the, were pretty good ourselves at qualifying that we support the pro-democracy movement in Iran. So, like, it has nothing yeah, to do absolutely. with that. Yeah, you absolutely. It's also, I just don't want any more, like, North American intervention in Arab and Middle Eastern countries. Like, I'm just so sick of it. Yeah. It's such bullshit. And it's just like there's so much evidence out that we've wasted so many of people's resources and time and harmed so many people for no reason other than for profit. Which get like there's two more cool things about Alexander Trudeau. He is also against interventionism around the world. Great. Love so it. cool. And he had <laughs> Noam Chomsky in his film, which regardless of what you think about Noam Chomsky, like that's pretty dope. I mean, I think... <laughs> I say I don't like Noam Chomsky. Yeah, so do I. I just know some people are critical of him, but I'm just saying I like Noam Chomsky and the fact that Alexander Trudeau... I think uh, Noam Chomsky's like a good introduction to certain things. I don't think he's like the end-all be-all of like like leftist criticisms and his political science is like, I think, very surface level. I've written papers extremely critical of his language work, but... Oh, like his linguistic (laughs) stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of linguists really don't... Well, there's, heavy. there's camps. There's I've, definite heard, camps. I've heard, but I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah. know too much about that myself. So, but anyway, so I'm just saying that I like Alexander Trudeau. That's that's all I'm saying. Now we don't often talk about the mailbag segment of Ezra's show, but he there's ends. Yeah, well, I mean, well, it's usually just stupid repeating points that we already heard. So there's or usually... it's just like you're great, Ezra. Thanks yeah. for doing that. He's like, oh, well, yes, I yeah. am, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just thank pointless, you so much. Pointless covering it. But he did say something extremely obnoxious. On my interview with Joel Pollack, Gordon writes, President Trump is America's Winston Churchill. He's fighting to protect us from evil in the world. So glad I live in the era of Trump. Oh, I tell you, on every single thing from Iran to judges to NATO to North Korea to, to everything, imagine if Hillary Clinton were president now. Instead of Trump. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only. It would be an American airliner, God forbid, that would have been shot down. What? <laughs> I don't know how he got from A to B. <laughs> Did we? I'm not sure if I caught that properly. Did he say if it was an American airline, it would have definitely been shot down? Yeah, so if Hillary Clinton was elected president, somehow it would have been an American airplane that was shot down. <laughs> Two parts. How did this like plane transform to become like Canadian? Like, but the thing is, Americans were on that plane. The reason they had to go on that plane that was going to Canada was because they couldn't go to the United States because of the conflict going on with Iran and the economic sanctions plane um, put onto Iran. Well, there's so many things here. Like, people were course... stopped at the border if they had dual citizenship or if they were born in Iran. So it's like that's why well, they had to go to Canada. If history replayed itself, they wouldn't be in the situation. <laughs> Anyways, I'm pretty like, sure if Hillary Clinton was president, it wouldn't have played out exactly. Yeah. There's just so many factors. Like it's like that's like I'm like one part offended, like it's such an insensitive thing to say, and then the other part I'm like this is just obnoxious. Like why would you even say that? But there's yeah. just <laughs> no, there's just like a couple um, a couple of points that I'm thinking of is like how would you've exactly gotten to that exact same spot if Hillary Clinton was president? <laughs> There'd be so many different factors. Like the, com- it's just like the whole timeline would change yeah. if she was president. Nothing, nothing makes sense. <laughs> so <That's> so stupid. <laughs> On the tenth, Ezra teases that he's going to be talking about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, but instead he starts talking about uh, Iran again because. 
Why not? The reason why I bring up Prince Harry and Meghan Markle here when we're doing the Iran-focused episode is just because of how he frames it. So he, he teases that he's going to talk about Meghan and Harry, but then goes, but the serious world is talking about Iran. And this is really stupid because he then spends like a large portion of that episode talking about Harry and Meghan Markle. <laughs> so... <laughs> Thank you for confirming, Ezra, that you're not a serious show. Right. Yeah. And I really didn't want to talk about the royal family. And part of me thinks that Ezra didn't really want to either because when we get to the coverage, it's very superficial. But my guess is he's being motivated by the fact that it is getting covered and Ezra needs those clicks, baby. (laughs) Exactly. And like Ezra, I'm going to be talking about it because he's talking about it. But I'm mostly going to be focusing on Ezra himself in that segment. Because beyond abolishing the monarchy, I don't really give a shit. Anyways, all that that is worth highlighting now uh, is that Ezra gets from Iran to talking about the royal family in the most convoluted way possible. And that is he calls Trudeau the most lazy leader because mostly because of the beard and the fact that he was on vacation. Those are like the two. But he brought this up last week as well. Oh, it's going to be a common theme (laughs) as well. Uh, You know, that... It's just not even interesting to hear. I don't care. Well, neither do I. But I'm actually fascinated on like a level like how anyone's convinced by the idea like Trudeau gets a beard and then somehow magically becomes (laughs) that's somehow a sign of his depression or laziness or the fact that he's tuned out. Not a trend at all. And uh, (laughs) anyway, so he goes from that to saying that he Trudeau is just an empty socialite imposter, which, you know, maybe whatever. And then he moves from that to saying that therefore his wife Sophie is a gold digger. Just sorry? Just like Meghan Markle. <laughs> and then we're boom, we're off uh, on about the, the royal family. But uh, <laughs> So stay tuned for all the misogynistic details in our next episode. But uh, back to Iran. Where Ezra again wants to talk about the plane. So on the 10th, Iran was still denying any involvement in the shooting of the plane, although with the evidence on the 9th, it was starting to become very clear that they were the ones responsible for it. This is why Ezra starts by pointing to a bunch of disparate facts in order to paint some sort of conspiracy theory, right? So he's like, look at this over here. Like, why did the plane go this way? And why did they do this? Uh, As if their denial is somehow indicative of a nefarious plot. Like they're trying to cover things up because they they intentionally did it. And what did these cryptic comments from one of Iran's dictators, what did they mean published shortly before shooting down the airliner? Referring to the 290 people killed a few years ago when America actually accidentally shot down an Iranian passenger plane. By the way, the US military attempted to contact that plane Many times before shooting it down, America apologized for that, paid a compensation to every family on the plane. But not that that excuses it, but rather the opposite. When, when Iran's dictator mentions America shooting down an Iranian jet in a tweet about vengeance, and then Iran shoots down a passenger jet, granted it was from their own airport, but it was chock full of foreigners, isn't that more than a quirky coincidence? It's a bit difficult to pick up on this since this is an audio medium, but the tweet is by the current president of Iran, Hassan Rouhani, and states, so this is like the quote, those who refer to the number 52 should also remember the number 290, hashtag IR655, never threaten the Iranian nation. 
Ezra wants to make this seem creepy, given that the tweet was sent two days prior to the shooting of Flight 752. But as you can tell, this tweet is a response to Donald Trump's tweet, which was to threaten a war crime by announcing that if Iran retaliates, the U.S. will target 52 cultural sites in Iran. Oh, yes. Yeah. And this was after... So uh, Trump tweeted that, saying that the reason why he's targeting 52 cultural sites is because of the 52 hostages that were held by Iran in the late 70s and early 80s. Of course, this threat made by Trump is not mentioned by Ezra. It's on your screen, so I guess some of his like visual viewers will see it. But he doesn't mention it at all in uh, his episodes at all, that Trump basically threatened a war crime. And the other thing that's not mentioned at all in this episode is the long history of conflict between Iran and America beyond this weird plane shooting incident that he's talking about where 290 people died. So there's no context with what any of these numbers represent or why they matter. With that in mind, we are going to do a bastardized history of Iranian-U.S. relationships in part because it's generally important to know, but also it will be relevant to a lot of the subsequent uh, interviews that Ezra will have on this topic. So we're going to go all the way back to the 1900s. The Anglo-Iranian oil company had a monopoly over Iran's oil from 1901 until roughly 1952, and it remained one of the most profitable British uh, businesses to the annoyance of the Iranian people. Annoyance because most of them lived in poverty compared to the rich British people that colonized them. In 1952, the Iranian uh, Iranian Prime Minister, Mohammad Mosaddegh, nationalized the oil company and kicked out the British and became a national hero, but uh, pissed off the British, who didn't like the fact that they were no longer going to make those profits. Churchill wanted to uh, invade, but he wanted to have the United States to back him, but the United States was not going to back him. And they were discussing a coup, but it wasn't until... Eisenhower was elected when he was finally capable of responding, which they did by organizing a coup because they were worried about Iran joining with the Soviet Union after nationalizing their oil industry. And because that was seen as like a movement towards the left. Now, there's some discussion whether or not Mosaddegh was actually a leftist or not. And it seems like he was still pro-capitalist. He was just anti-British colonialism. So there's no direct evidence that somehow he was going to become like a vassal for the Soviet Union or something along those lines. But it was enough to freak out Churchill and Eisenhower that they thought a coup was reasonable. In 1941, the Shah was deposed and his son fled to Italy. So with the help of the CIA in 1953, the son returned from Italy in order to oust the democratically elected Mosaddegh, which they did. And so... The son became the new Shah of Iran, and this was in 1953. This, of course, angered the leftists and the Islamists, who were then brutally repressed under the Shah's rule. The reason the Islamists were oppressed was because the Shah saw religion as anti-modern and anti-Western. Thus began a growing, growing movement against the westernization of Iran, but also against colonialism generally. So they perceived even Soviet influence as a negative. So they had slogans that were neither East nor West Islamic Republic. There were, however, democratic and left-wing forces, but they saw way more oppression under the Shah. So they didn't have the power to lead the revolution. 
sadly, <laughs> I guess in our mind, as leftists, the left supported the revolution, hoping to eventually gain power. But after a whole bunch of infighting and power struggles, I'm like, hand, there's power struggles I'm hand-waving away decades of history now. <laughs> so all these infightings and, and fighting with the, the Shah led to the uh, Iranian revolution. And eventually in 1979, February of 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini effectively got control over the entire country. And thus, Iran, or Iran became a theocratic Islamic republic in 1979. Now, in 1977, President Jimmy Carter toasted the Shah during a New Year's event. And this began the Carter administration's rocky relationship with the religious revolutionaries uh, of uh, Iran. This was made worse in 1979 when the Shah, who has now been kicked out of Iran, uh, was allowed into the U.S., to a New York hospital to receive surgery, which was discouraged by Carter's State Department for obvious diplomatic reasons, but was pushed on Carter through people like Henry Kissinger, who were wheeling in deals and had favors and all that fun stuff. So Iran saw this as a possible staging of another coup, right? You have the Shah, you finally got rid of him, and now the Americans are taking him in. Like, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. So in November 1979, after several attempts in the months preceding, Iran took over the American embassy, taking 52 hostages. With the expressed intention of having the U.S. trade the Shah for the hostages so that the Shah could stay in trial in Iran. The, st the hostage standoff lasted 444 days and likely played a role in Jimmy Carter losing the election in 1980 to Ronald Reagan who campaigned stating he wasn't going to pay ransom for people who have kidnapped or who have been kidnapped by barbarians. So fun language. That oh, means. great. The hostage standoff contributed to a rise in American nationalism and anti-Iranian sentiment. The Shah died in Egypt in 1980 in the middle of the hostage crisis. So they weren't capable of setting him back. eventually. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, the standoff continued uh, for quite some time. And, Part of what made Carter look kind of like weak in this was that often Carter would think a deal was going to go through and would like sort of like announce that to the press only for the Iranian government to basically go, no, nah, we're not going to do it anymore. And it just made him look weak and ineffectual combined with the ultra nationalism that was forming. Uh, Reagan just swooped in. It seemed like this big, strong man, kind of like, I don't know, I'm making it's parallels also an, with the figure a Western today. <laughs> American actor. So he had that appeal of this heroic yeah. character. Cowboy coming out, saving the yeah, day. Yeah, Western cowboy, yeah. Uh, so you can see why the number 52 means a lot for someone like Trump, who would have been in his 30s during this hostage, hostage situation. Oh, weird. And in 1988... When the U.S. shot a passenger plane leaving Iran, killing 290 people, why that would add just another grievance on the long list of justified grievances Iran has against the United States. So, to repeat what Ezra said earlier about the 290 people who were killed on that plane. So this is what Ezra claimed in that earlier clip, was that America tried to contact that plane. America apologized for it and then paid compensation. So I'm gonna go through all three of these things uh, to see if what Ezra says hold, holds any water. In reality, the US was not, a military, was not militarily engaged with Iran at the time. However, the captain of the USS Vincennes, which is the ship that shot down the plane, had been aggressively patrolling the Persian Gulf 
they were just like storming up on ships and like there's like quotes of the captain being like well we're not just gonna sit here like let's get engaged and he was uh that kind of person it even gave the boat the nickname the robo cruiser and i don't (laughs) i don't know if it's directly related but robocop did come out the year before in 1987 i had a feeling that's what it was (laughs) i didn't read anywhere that it was but i'm like come on they were like, yeah. we're going to watch RoboCop and then get some inspiration. Name our boat that. Right. Yeah. So this boat was taking on a kind of reputation. So now to the points. Did the USS Vincennes try to contact the plane? The boat, which likely was in Iranian waters at the time, which not would not have been allowed, saw that what they believed to be an Iranian F-14. Although subsequent reports indicate that their data was inconsistent with an F-14. So I think it has something to do, from what I was reading... If, if it's, like, ascending a lot, then that would not be an F-14. And if it was descending, it would be more likely an F-14 that's in, like, an attack formation. And all the radar information shows an ascension, which means it wouldn't have been an F-14. Yet it's clear on some of the recordings that they thought it was an F-14 for whatever reason. But no one knows why they perceived it that way. They did try to contact the plane. But they failed in numerous ways, using the wrong frequencies or not providing enough identifying information to the plane. So they said something like, if you're going this speed, like, contact us. And, like, it didn't match fully with the speed that would show up on, like... So the plane... There's all evidence in the world suggests that the plane did have radio communication because it was communicating seconds before with the the tower in Iran before it got shot down. And also the pilots could speak English, so it wasn't, like a language barrier and uh but they just didn't know that you're talking to us <laughs> you know that that's that didn't occur to them but since they did not respond the uss vincennes the robo cruiser shot the plane and killed 290 people that's awful yeah and there was no reason to suspect they were under attack remember they're not at war with iran at this moment they were likely in waters they had no right to be in after months of harassing other boats in the Persian Gulf. So, did America apologize? At first, the U.S. simply said they expressed regret, which is still the only official response from the U.S. government. And you can tell, like, expressing regret is not saying, I'm sorry, Iran. Right? It's like, I regret that I punched you in the face, but I'm not sorry for it. You know what I mean? Like, so saying expressing regret, it's not the same thing. And there has been no official apology. Apology, However, when asked if the expression of regret was an apology to Iran, Reagan did say yes. But at the same time, Vice President George Bush, who was campaigning to be president at the time, frequently stated in public, I will never apologize for the United States. I don't care what the facts are. I'm not an apologize for American kind of guy. Though this was not directly linked explicitly to the shooting of the Iranian plane, a lot of people made that connection in America and also made that connection in Iran. Like, of course, like what, what else could he be talking about, right? America then uh, just, you know, because it's America and relates to something that you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. decided to award the crew of the USS Descent. Holy fuck. Uh, they did this in 1990 and they gave the captain, whose name was uh, Rogers, and who was the one who ordered to shoot the plane, they gave him a legion of merit stating... For exceptionally meritorious conduct in the performance of outstanding service as commanding officer from April 1987 to May 1989, <laughs> given that this date range includes the time Captain Roberts shot the plane, 
This was not taken well by Iran. And doesn't seem like somebody who's sorry for what they did. Did America pay compensation? A case was brought against America in 1989 in the International Court of Justice and was finally settled in 1996 after years of pressure from the international community. America paid $131.8 million to Iran, most of which went to the victims and families in this uh, families. In the settlement, again, America refused to apologize and instead noted their regret that this happened. And to this day, many Iranians believe that the plane was shot down on purpose and America has still not officially apologized for doing it. Now, with all that complicated messy, <laughs> messy history out of the way, Ezra ended that clip by saying, isn't it more than a quirky coincidence that the president would tweet about the 290 people killed by the Americans two days before they shot down their own plane? Like it's clear like this still has resonance with the Iranian people. Yeah. They don't like the fact that America killed 290 people, most of which were their own citizens. Yeah. And they're pissed off about it, especially when Trump decides to throw around threats of war. That they're going yeah. to bomb 52 cultural sites, yeah. But, uh... I yeah. saw some jokes on Twitter about what if Iran threatened to bomb 52 cultural sites in America and just be McDonald's. Just <laughs> that took a bit. <laughs> well, like for some reason, my head went to I, I missed the Mick part and just heard Donald. It was like you need just Trump Towers everywhere. <laughs> that <laughs> wouldn't be like, bad either. <laughs> so that's it, it's a long, complicated history, but I think it was like worth going through that so that you because here's the thing: is Ezra's never going to tell you that story, and you can. I don't want to sympathize with the theocratic government either. And in fact, I don't sympathize with the theocratic government. They've done a lot of terrible things. No. And I'm not a theocrat. (laughs) (laughs) But it's clear, like, to, to frame this in any other way as if America has the right to impose its will on this country that it's been fucking with for over close to 100 years. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Um, It's actually interesting. There's a lot of social sociological theorists that actually thought the revolution was really good in Iran because it was the first time a previously um, colonized country had like complete sovereignty over how they wanted their country to be ruled. Like Foucault, for example, wrote a whole essay on uh, the Iranian revolution and why it was actually very beneficial for the Iranian uh, people. And it it was just, it was framed as this really good anti-modernist movement. I don't necessarily agree with that. That's the problem. Like, I just, how, I think they would backtrack on what they said if they were, (laughs) like, I'm thinking Foucault wrote an essay. I'm sure if he was still alive today, he passed away shortly after he wrote that essay. I'm sure if he saw how things played out, he would have probably wrote a response to that essay and not agreeing. You have to have secularism when you have these movements. And I feel like some leftists won't agree with me on that because they, I don't know why, but yeah, <laughs> just, I, you know, you have to, cause you have to have a separation of state from like, if you're just going to put another group that's going to have these theocratic principles and how they're going to lead and rule, even if they align with some leftist principles, it's not going to end up going well. So you, you have to completely separate it. I agree. And that's that's one thing that is difficult when talking about the pro-democracy movement in Iran, because they're not all secularists, right? A lot of them... That happens a lot, yeah. though, in places where there's like these little in-group fighting because you have people that have like care about the overall cause, but then you have this other group 
that actually is just coming along with your cause because they they want this theocratic authoritarian rule and it's not actually aligned with your yeah and and this is this is the difficult i mean it's the difficulty everywhere which is like how do you how do you get this sort of like mass necessary to to have large social change like that without forming coalitions but then like even what happened in the 1970s uh revolution was that they thought that once uh, you can get rid of this thing that somehow we will be the ones i think and i mean maybe this is getting too academic for this podcast but like <laughs> marx is on the jewish question or the response to the jewish question but basically he's trying to say like you have to come together to to get rid of this the structure and the system that is opposed to everyone which is capitalism and then he's saying that He's basically responding to this guy's other essay, which was saying, like, Jewish people want liberation, they want freedom, they want their own land. And he's saying you can't have a movement based on that. If you have a movement based on that, it's not going to work. No, it's they have to factionalism. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he kind of makes that argument. And then he goes on to say, and this is where people also think it's anti-Semitic, like, you have to give up the label of being the Jew if you want to come into these movements and you actually want to have real effective social change. But he's not saying that these things need to like not be a part of your life. Like you can still yeah, be Jewish. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's that's the trick. I mean, but that's why like when we talk about secularism, secularism we're not talking about like anti-religion. That's, that's why yeah. I, I want to bring that in because I'm not saying like you can't be Christian, you can't be Catholic, you can't be uh, Islamic, you can't be um, Jewish, you can't, you know, like you can be, you can practice all those religions and you can be whatever religion you want or what belief system you want to be a part of and you can still practice. Yeah, it's just about not letting that become the established uh, norm that then is enforced on everyone else, right? And it's just also like you have to understand like people are going to have different beliefs than you and you've got to you got to kind of have creative structure that allows for the diversity of those beliefs and pluralist, pluralistic cultural I mean, practices. I'm still your friend, even though you don't like Charlie XCX. So we'll... <laughs> I don't dislike her. <laughs> I just don't love her as much as you do. In the interview section, Ezra interviews a repeat guest named Lee Humphrey about Iran. And Humphrey, again, he works for a veteran lobby group and tends to be less straightforwardly anti-liberal uh, government, mostly because I think he realizes the need to work with them to pass good uh, veteran bills. Ezra frames the interview in terms of the conspiracy thinking from earlier in the show. And Lee doesn't initially take the bait, instead focusing on ways in which it could have been an error that Iran shot down the plane. But when pushed, Lee eventually says, okay, like it could be a possibility, sure, Ezra. Basically, like shut up. <laughs> but he doubts it's. Uh, he doubts that it, it was a conspiracy because of where the plane was shot down over a suburb. He's like, that's highly visible. Like, if they were trying to do some sort of like staged thing, like that, that's a really stupid place to do it where everyone can see what's happening. Yeah. So, I have to agree with Ezra's guest. <laughs> Ezra then moves on and asks Lee that if it was in fact an error or an accident, how will Iran respond? Yeah, well, I think they're going to follow the same uh, pattern of behavior that they've always followed. They they will deny this completely. They will never admit this occurred. I will be really, really shocked if the data associated with those black boxes makes it out of Iran. 
Uh, I'll be shocked if the Canadian investigative team actually gets into Iran until the uh, site is fully cleaned up. Uh, I doubt they'll get access, the kind of access that they would normally get in a normal plane crash or an incident where an airliner is down, regardless of how it is down. I love that. I, I hope in that moment, he was like, when Iran eventually came out and admitted it, the day after Lee said this, that was like, well, I guess I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most fascinating things covering this Iran uh, incident is watching Ezra's uh, team of people he has on his show be wrong in real time where like we're always Luke... wrong though yeah but this was like the day before like joel last week when he was uh it, we talked about this in episode 18 again where he was praising trump not being too rash in in iran and dealing with the the embassies and then literally the next day was the assassination of kassam and like similarly here lee thinks that iran will deny it and ezra agrees with him only for the, the next actually day actually announce yeah I mean, it would be pretty hard for them to deny it because there's like video evidence of it happening, and but that it, they had an investigation going on with the Canadian government too. So it's just like, how are you going to deny this? Well, that's like the funny thing about uh, Lee mentioning the visibility of like where this incident occurred, and then saying they'll deny it. Like you just gave the reasons why they can't deny it because it's going to come out. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Ezra then asks Lee about Trudeau, and Lee says he doesn't like that Trudeau left it open that Trump is to blame for this, but otherwise praises Trudeau for his diplomatic acumen, since being too aggressive with Iran could prevent the bodies of the dead Canadian citizens from coming back to Canada. That seems to be Lee's stance, and Ezra doesn't push back on that, but he doesn't also say, yeah, you're right, because you can't be seen to like liberals. <laughs> Uh, again, Ezra speculates on Trudeau being tuned out and depressed, and I can't help but think this is all because he has a beard. I got no problem with a guy having a beard. You've got a handsome beard yourself, but just that, just that look of he, like he feels like he's not. I mean, I we've had great prime ministers with great beards. I mean, it's been a while, I suppose, but it just feels like his mentally he wants to go back to Costa Rica take it easy, go into town, shop for beer, hang out on the beach. Like, it feels like he's still in vacation mode. That's his happy place. Whereas Trump, whatever else you think of him, the guy thrives on the action, the deal. The, like, he's always kinetic. He's always going. And, and he, he takes the odd round of golf, which I think he uses for business purposes. But I don't think Donald Trump's taking a vacation in, in his term. Um, you wouldn't think that uh, Trump is almost twice as old as Trudeau. Who thinks that Trump is younger than <laughs> 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 who, who the fuck really thinks that? Anyways, we don't really have to comment on that. It's just fucking stupid. <laughs> but I love it. It's like this beard has somehow like inspired in Ezra that this is evidence that like Trudeau's wasting away. <laughs> uh, Call a trend. Yeah. <laughs> it's called Beards Are Trending. A lot of guys are growing beards because it's it's a thing. It's a trend now. Nope. It means he's depressed. <laughs> but he's simultaneously saying he's depressed, but he's in a happy place. He's, the beard yeah, is like a blanket, like a, a weighted blanket well, on his face. It's like face. a weird, like he like, wants to shut out the world, but he's like, I, 
He's in like Costa Rica mode. This is smoking dope. This is vacation Trudeau, right? When would the real Trudeau come back? Yeah. Is he implying that Trudeau without the beard was like really productive and strong and more manly? I don't know what the fuck he's implying. <laughs> I don't think there is a coherent narrative there. I think he's just picking up on the fact that everyone's talking about a beard. And this it's always the... looks thing too, like the socks, yeah. right? But before we move on to the next thing, I just want to address the idea of whether or not this actually was an accident or an intentional shooting of the plane uh, of the most recent incident. So aside from the absurdity of why Iran would intentionally do this, consider that the plane was shot down four hours after Iran carried out a strike on the American bases in Iraq and days after Trump threatened 52 of their cultural sites. So the Iran edge. And given the history that uh, Iran might not trust America, you can also see why they're, they're on edge. And however, unlike the America's shooting of Flight 655, there were a few technical problems that actually did occur, although they still need to be explained. So maybe as the evidence will pile in, I'll be wrong here or not wrong, but like things will get cl clarified. So at some point during the flight and before the plane was shot down, the plane did lose contact and seemed to be off course, at least in terms of where the debris was found in contrast to where they lost contact with it. Mm -hmm. So they lost contact, there's a period of time, it then got hit, and they found the debris off course from where it should have been. The plane was also delayed an hour, so that also could have like messed with, with what Iran was expecting to be in the air at that time. Now one could question why Iran would let any planes take off at all in the middle of this? Sure. But all of this is seems to indicate that the shooting of the plane was not intentional and clearly would not have happened if Trump didn't decide to be a colossal moron and assassinate Kassam. Uh, so yeah, it looks like it was a terrible accident. I think Iran has jailed a few people involved with it. I think the, the person who shot the thing is in jail right now and i don't necessarily like that either because nothing like being in a theocratic prison and <laughs> all the problems that can come with yeah. that so uh but anyways so that's that we'll move on to january 13th on the 13th ezra is mad about a ceo of maple leaf foods who's tweeting about iran and trump's <laughs> and again he blames trump and Ezra mainly chastised the guy for using his corporate media rather than making a personal statement, which is, again, stupid, given that Ezra seems to be in favor of corporate speech. So it's like, who, why do you give a shit what this guy says? But it clearly, like, gives a shit about this because it fits in with his, like, anti-elitist populist bullshit. Yeah. Ezra wonders why this guy would do this, but then reads the tweet where he explicitly states that a colleague who lost... Uh, of his in the company lost a friend in the crash. Mm. So that's why he's pissed off and tweeting about this. Ezra then points, uh, Ezra's point seems to be that you can't criticize Trump without criticizing Iran because after all, Iran has now admitted they did it. So you have to blame them too. And how dare you just put all of this on Trump. He's also mad that this CEO in a Twitter rant didn't discuss, or didn't discuss the growing democracy movement. Part of me is like, it's a tweet. Like, <laughs> it's not a discourse or a thesis, right? But look at how Ezra thinks about historical events in general. By the way, it wasn't a series of events that shot down that plane. It was one event, 
a missile strike. Not this missile strike. This is, this is the attack on Qasem Soleimani. McCain claims the surgical strike that killed two people, two terrorists, the terrorist general and his aide. He claims this attack was ill-conceived. But he doesn't say the Iranians shooting a missile of their own plane was ill-conceived. The only cause responsible for that plane coming down was the missile coming into contact with it. It had nothing to do with the geopolitical situation that led up to that event, which is typical bullshit that he normally sees. But, uh, but then also this idea that shooting the plane was ill-conceived. It's like, I don't... Iran didn't conceive of anything. <laughs> you know, if it's an accident, it's not conceived at all. So... Uh, he just gets so nitpicky and again, like sort of like puts his conspiracy theory onto other people. But Ezra thinks he knows more than the CEO of Maple Foods. I mean, real question, how would Michael McCain, son of privilege, lucky inheritor of a company that his father and grandfather hmm. built. Interesting. How would some spoiled silver spoon trust fund kid know huh. who's welcome or not in Iraq or elsewhere? How, how would he know? Or what he reads in some left-wing magazine once a month or what he watches on CNN. And look, I, I'm not on the ground over there either. So I'm about as much an expert on Iran as Michael McCain is. Actually, I might be a little bit more, frankly, because at least I follow the news for a living. That's what I do. I'm not making sliced cold cuts for a living and just watching the news at night for half an hour. Again, like he's constantly just assuming things about people like this guy. I just love the whole... Yeah silver spoon of privilege doesn't know anything but then he like loves trump like yeah. he fits that fucking description daddy right. helped you out built your company for you you just inherited stuff like the fuck that's like half the people you praise well the frame here that the ceo of maple foods is some spoiled rich dude who inherited his wealth and has never been told no uh, is probably accurate. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not. I'm just right. saying that, like, the very people he praises and, like, bows down to half the time are that. Like, why are you criticizing it if if you if you love other people that are like it? You only like it when it fits for your rhetoric, and it's so fucking stupid. Like... Well, that's... That it. I mean, this, this is his populist message because people... It's the same reason that Trump talks about dishwashers and toilets. But I'm also approving new dishwashers that give you more water so you can actually wash and rinse your dishes without having to do it 10 times. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It seems so absurd for us and fatuous. Like, why the fuck are you talking about this? But it appeals because people are like, yeah, everyday Joe, like, I have problems with my dishwasher. Like, this guy gets me. It's like, I don't have that connection to it. But it's clear that this stuff works. Like, so even though Ezra fits the same model that he's criticizing here, it appeals to this, like, populist base that he's trying to agitate. But Gross. then simultaneously, he makes him seem like a simpleton, too, by saying... He only cuts meat for a living. Yeah. Like that's what all he does. So it's just these like. Well, he's two not good at crafting. <laughs> I see your point though. It's just so dumb. Ezra then mentions that Trump sent out a tweet in Farsi, oh. praising the democracy protesters, which came to action again after Iran admitted to shooting the plane, saying that this is the most shared Farsi tweet in Twitter history. Which, if true, still doesn't justify his next claim, which this means that Iran is jubilant with Trump. 
for the obvious reason that this is probably not Iranians sharing this tweet. <laughs> there is this weird silver lining, though, with the shooting of the plane, which is that after the assassination of Qassam, a lot of people were worried about the mood of the country that would rally around uh, a leader who was a very popular leader in the country who was assassinated by the U.S., and the pro-democracy movement would in turn start to be quashed and suppressed. But the shooting of the plane changed that dynamic, which again, why would Iran intentionally shoot down this plane if it's going to support the pro-democracy movement, right? But the shooting of the plane was also seen by a lot of the right-wing people as evidence that Trump did a good thing in assassinating Qassam, but there's no way that because Trump it escalated have... <laughs> a situation. Good job, great. Well, not only that, like how, there, there's no way that Trump could have foreseen that the accident would have happened, and therefore the 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 switch would have occurred. But anyways, why would the Iranian people, with their history with America, love Trump when just days before he almost ruined their movement by assassinating Qassam? But Ezra doubles down that he doesn't think it was an accident, and that you know the Iranian government are, are somehow doing some eighth-dimensional chess that I still don't understand <laughs> Anyway, so we talked about how the, the CEO is a spoiled asshole. And Ezra goes on to start talking about several scandals involving Maple Leaf Foods, including payouts for Listeria, and also the hypocrisy of the CEO of a meat production company talking about emissions. And both of these points are like, yes, Ezra, you're right. But of course, Ezra is only doing this cynically because yeah. Ezra thinks if Maple Leaf takes uh, the emissions example seriously, the company would fold. And Ezra's probably right. And I don't care about the CEO of Maple Leafs. <laughs> and I don't care what he has to say. And the only reason Ezra is talking about it is, again, because of the propagandistic qualities and his audience will just eat it up. Eat it up just like they eat the fucking cold cuts from Maple Leaf Foods, even though they killed a bunch of people with hysteria. <laughs> Ezra ends the segment with a dig against Iran with with just a just a more? hint. Just more? Just, well, just this time it comes with a hint or a taste of Islamophobia. I, I saw this on the UK Foreign Office website. Uh, importing pork products isn't allowed in Iran. Iran, you can't sell pork there. You can't export it there like you do to America. So just speaking as a friend of Maple Leaf Foods and quite a consumer. Maybe McCain should spend less time disparaging his American customers and more time just doing some work. So that's that's the end of that segment. Then uh, during the mailbag segment, Ezra talks about a liberal MP named Majid Jawari. And this is the second time he was brought up, but I didn't mention him before and was initially not going to talk about it. But I think it's only fair to bring it, bring it up because... This is a fresh and unraveling story, but it is possible that there are inappropriate relationships between this liberal MP and the Iranian government. And I won't go into any of the details yet because, again, this is a currently evolving situation. But this is the first time that Ezra might have a point. And I think it's incumbent upon me as an honest observer to acknowledge that. But one possible right claim in a sea of terrible shitty claims is not all that meaningful. But credit where credit's due, there could be a person with some shady connections with Iran who's an MP in the Liberal Party. Maybe. It's evolving. We'll find out. January 14th. Ezra has on Manny Montenegrino. Oh, gosh. 
uh, his usual cast of characters. And again, they're on about Trudeau blaming Trump in the, on the plane incident. And Ezra plays a clip of Trudeau's somber press conference calling for de-escalation and how conflict causes tragedies like the plane being shot. Mm -hmm. And all Ezra has to say about this is how Trudeau is sounding sexy with his deep bedroom voice in giving this somber... Why does it always bring (laughs) sex things all the time? Because Ezra has not read his Freud and doesn't know how to... (laughs) (laughs) It's repression. Doesn't know how to, like, realize when he's giving uh, Freudian slips away. Manny says the shooting of the plane was intentional and criminal in nature. So, again, he's buying into the same bullshit conspiracy stuff. Manny also says that we're ignoring the protests. But I don't know who he's talking about because the protests were huge news after Iran came out and admitted that they shot down the plane. I saw it all over the news. It was trending on Twitter, so I have no clue what he's talking about. Ezra then plays a CBC panel where everyone is pointing blame towards Trump, and and then Ezra complains about it, saying this is evidence that the CBC is just trying to use Trudeau talking points and is working with the liberal liberal government to get this like story straight and some sort of grand conspiracy narrative. But I came up with the same talking points uh, on my own days before. Uh, on our podcast like you yeah. can go back and listen to it so it's not a difficult conclusion to reach so uh, again i just wanted to point out how they seem to think that because a lot of people landed on this conclusion it's evidence of some sort of conspiracy theory when maybe it's just the right fucking conclusion <laughs> many then gives his take on the history of iran and this is one reason why i think it was important going over the history my problem is i'm old enough to remember in 1980 when the when the, the Shah of Iran was toppled, the, the this theological group, the mullahs, they got, took over Iran. They took over the U.S. embassy. Canada played a large role in helping America. Mm-hmm. Canada was there, standing against this theocracy that's trying to take over and, and remove people's rights. I remember the Iran before this religious zealots are running the country. It was a, it was a, a country that Canada would admire with our values of equality of women, equality of, uh, of, of people. There was no push of religious ideologies. These were a wonderful, beautiful, smart, people. They've been crushed. They are rebelling on the streets now. We don't see it, but the rebellion is getting stronger as a result of the lies and as a result of the the negligent criminal killing of these 176 people on board that plane. There is, I hope, I hope that through this great tragedy that, that, that 83 million Iranians get back to the lives that they once enjoyed and this government is gone and this government kills 300 people for protesting, puts thousands in jail and creates a, 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 a and killed hundreds of Americans. Um, and so, so it, it, it's that easy. I think it's just, if you don't think it out, you don't know what's happened in the last 30 or 40 years. You don't care about the 83 million Iranians. Notice that Manny is completely fine with political oppression in the name of the West, which is what the Shah was. Or at least is fine with whitewashing the history of the Shah that killed and murdered people for protesting, that imprisoned and tortured people for their political beliefs and religious beliefs. But his main problem seems to be the religious nature of the Iranian government rather than any kind of political oppression. Remember the film earlier made by Alexandre Trudeau, 
the current demonstrations are not necessarily anti-religious in nature, but pro-democracy. They may be in favor of removing the theocracy, but this doesn't mean what comes in its place is going to be anti-Islamic or pro-American. It reminds me of the same bullshit rhetoric surrounding the Iraq war, which was that the Iraqi people would greet the Americans as liberators. You really think with the history of these two countries that Iran would perceive America as an ally or a liberator? And that well, I think another thing is they use this as a justification uh, for killing people over there, like as if if we need we need to liberate them, and anyone that doesn't want to be liberated will just kill. Like it's like uh, even the way that Manny's describing it right now is like they were once this beautiful civilization free of Islam, but once that came in, they don't really deserve it. They don't deserve right. anything. We it's okay for us to go over and bomb or start a war with these people because you know. Of their historical situation. Who cares, right? Like, Well, that's the thing. For him to perceive the Shah's regime as beautiful itself is a fucking naive and stupid and dangerous I've been seeing a lot of posts on Facebook and Twitter and like people have been showing... Um, I think I mentioned this or last... The, the women without... Yeah, it's like jobs. women in, in niqabs. Which another thing to mention is like a lot of women actually don't dress like that in Iran. It's a very small group of of even in the middle east too it's like a small segment it's not all women like it's just so they'll like take a picture of a woman in niqab and they're like today in 1970s this modern hip woman they're like now that's okay we need to go over there and liberate these women and it's okay to bomb right like which makes no sense how could you bomb for peace how could you bomb for liberation or emancipation that doesn't it doesn't it's not possible the importance of this like i went through the history earlier because we need to remember right and these warmongers and these fascist assholes on the show want you to forget so they can convince you to go to war again. Yeah. And that's why, like, that's all I'm saying. Like, that was the whole reason to do this. We did the whole Iran thing because, like, even though it seems right now that the tensions have decreased and it doesn't look like we're going into war. No. It could, at the flip of a dime, all of a sudden they're they're banging the drums again. Well, I think we just need to get troops out of the middle east right now like they shouldn't be occupying you should stop fucking with people <laughs> yeah i agree that's a good point plan for a good news segment and we're going along anyway so uh, i thought i would just take the opportunity to tell people to uh, register in the primaries in the united states february is coming up vote for the person vote for bernie vote for bernie obviously. vote for bernie vote for bernie why would you think we would support anyone else yeah vote for bernie so uh yes go register could you imagine for like vote for mayor pete <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right in Williamson was. Like, <laughs> I know she dropped out. Oh, Willie. Uh, Mar- uh, what the heck? Miriam. Will- Marian Williamson. I, I just, I just know her aura. Love <laughs> will defeat Mr. Trump. Love it. So, if you enjoy what you've heard so far, please give us a few bucks over on Patreon.com/slash/ImperialNews. If you want to stay informed about what we're doing, you can also find us on Twitter at Imperial News with a Z. We have an Instagram account, News Imperial. We have a private Facebook group called Imperial News. We also have a Discord set up. You can find the link on our Twitter. Lastly, you can email us any questions at imperial.fake.news at gmail.com. Special thanks to my friend Mason Tickle for the transition beats. You can find his work at striadam.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. And never forget...
that Alexandra is the better Trudeau. Never forget. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.